chapter 9. And if you're visiting with us, we have gone verse by verse through the book of Revelation. We've taken a little different approach rather than taking a complete futuristic approach, which means looking at all these passages as happening in our future. We've tried to see how they apply to the seven churches to whom John is writing. And what we've concluded is that that certain things are going to happen very soon. He says, I'm writing to you about things that are going to happen very soon. And one of the things that is going to happen very soon is that this church and these people, these churches and these people are going to be persecuted. Tremendous time of persecution is ahead. One man's already died. Uh, we saw that in chapter, I believe, chapter 2. And others are suffering for their faith, and John is telling them to keep faithful. And don't give up. Don't bow the knee to Caesar. Don't bow the knee to the idols. You may pay for it. It may cost you your life. But if you're faithful, you will inherit the kingdom of God. He says you need to be an overcomer. And the person who's a real believer is one who overcomes. We don't overcome in order to be saved. But if you are really saved, guess what you are? An overcomer. You're faithful. You're not like Judas who drops by the wayside. Not that you have a profession of faith. You possess faith. And faith allows you to live life victoriously through thick and thin. And so, he says the second thing is going to happen. Is that God is going to send judgments upon the Roman Empire. And he said, so God will vindicate you. Uh, when you get persecuted, don't think that Rome wins. And this Christian life was worthless. One day God's going to vindicate you. Ultimately, at the judgment, when Christ returns... But in the near future, God is going to send uh, judgment upon the nation uh, or upon the empire of Rome. So in chapter 8, we saw that four trumpets were blown. Four angels blow four trumpets which announce the judgments which are soon to come upon Rome. However, John says that the Christians will not suffer these judgments. You might suffer persecution at the hand of Rome, but you won't suffer the judgments that are coming upon the Roman Empire. God will protect you. So now we have three more trumpets that are to be blown. And last week we saw that, look at verse 12 of chapter 8. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, a third of the stars, and a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine. And likewise the night, I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet. There are three more trumpet blasts to be blown, three more trumpets to be blown, and they will announce three more judgments which are described as woes. Woe, that would be trumpet blast number five. Woe, trumpet blast number six. And woe, trumpet blast number five. Seven. Okay? And this is all designed to bring the Roman Empire to its knees and bring about a spirit of repentance. So now we come to chapter 9 and trumpet blast number 5. Now look at chapter 9 and verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Now this is no ordinary star. When it says, I saw a star falling 
from heaven to earth. This is not a meteorite. Uh, this is a person, and we know that because of the personal pronoun in verse 1. To him was given. The star is called a him. So this star has personality. We call our sports heroes stars. We call Hollywood actors and actresses stars. The Oscars are on tonight. You're going to see the stars of Hollywood. They're people. There's a walk of fame and different actors have a star there. That's how we designate them. We call them our stars. Well, here he sees a star that falls from heaven. Now, what does he see in his vision? Literally, he sees a star, probably. But it's not literal, is it? In the vision, he sees a literal star. But will a literal star fall to heaven? No, it's a hymn. This represents a person. So, who is this person? Well, you have some options. Some people say it's Satan that's falling. He's the star that falls from heaven. Others say it's an angel. Now, I'm going to go with the angel theory, a good angel theory. Because when you look at this, the assignment that this angel has, it says to him at the end of verse 9, was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened, in verse 2, the bottomless pit, or more literally, the shaft of the abyss. Now, Jews believe, and the scriptures indicate, that there is a certain class of demons that are bound right now in a pit. We see this in Jude verse 6, for example. They've been bound already. And here an angel comes from heaven to earth. Notice where it is, first of all. It's in heaven. That's its abode. It's assignment. It comes to earth with a key. It's given a key. It didn't have the key. This is delegated authority. And it goes down and it opens this abyss where evidently these demons dwell. And it says at the end of middle of verse 2, and the smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So something happens that affects the atmosphere. The sun's darkened. Uh, speaks of some sort of environmental event. Smoke billows up, you know what happens, the sun's rays can't get through, and there's a haze. <clears throat> I was, uh, a few years back, I was taking a trip to Florida, to the school, and they were having forest fires in Florida, spreading all over the southern part of the state. And when we got within about 50 miles of Florida, the pilot came on the PA system. He said, now, he said, we're coming into a zone where you're going to start smelling something. Don't think the plane's on fire. He said, this is the forest fires below. Smoke is rising. He said, when you get off the plane, you're going to notice two things. You're going to notice the haze. It's going to be darker than a normal day because the smoke is blocking the sun's rays. And you're going to have this smell. So you're actually going to smell it in the plane before we get off. So don't think anything's wrong. So this is what's being described as somehow the atmosphere is being affected. At least that's what he sees in his vision. That's what he sees in his vision. But remember, these things are symbolic. Okay? You need to make sure you understand that this is symbolic. And we'll talk about how this plays out. Look at verse 3. Then out of that smoke, 
This is what came up with the smoke. Locusts came upon the earth. Not literal locusts. Not literal locusts. Now what did he see in these visions? He sees what? Locusts. But the locusts are symbols. They represent something. They're not literal locusts. And you say, well, how do you know they're not literal locusts? Didn't they have literal locusts in the plague of Egypt? Yes, they did. But these aren't literal, literal locusts. And there's three reasons that we know these are not literal locusts. Number one is they don't act like regular locusts. Uh, first of all, I want you to notice the comparison that's made in verse 3. To them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. So these locusts are given the ability to inflict pain, sting people. Locusts don't sting people. But here he says they're given this power just like a scorpion to inflict pain. So that's what you need to realize that these, whatever these beings are, they inflict pain. Notice what they eat. Verse 4. They were commanded not to harm the grass or any green thing or any tree. Isn't that what locusts do? See, locusts eat trees. Locusts eat green things. But not these. Look, not to do that, but only those men. Do you see that? They're not to eat grass, but they're to fight people. Those men who do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. So, what we see is that whatever comes out of this pit uh, inflicts pain. They inflict pain on the lost. Now, if these events are going to happen in the near future, the seven churches, the Roman Empire is going to experience some sort of pain described here. But, God's people are going to be protected. You see that? They're only to inflict pain upon the people who do not have the mark of God in their foreheads, the seal of God in their forehead. Look at verse 5. And they were not given authority to kill them. Locusts don't kill anybody. Whatever these beings are, they were not given the authority to kill people, but to torment them for five months. Their torment is like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. It hurts. Now notice that their authority is limited. See that? It's limited. Their authority is limited to five months. Literally? What's he saying? This pain that's going to come upon the Roman Empire is going to last what? short time. Not a long time. Five months isn't too long. Okay? So, what he's talking about is a short time. Notice that the authority is delegated. Look, verse 5. They were given authority. See? Delegated. And their torture is limited. See? They can't kill people. They can only hurt people. So it's a very short span of time. Now look at the result. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. In other words, the pain's going to be so bad that they wish they died. That's how bad it is. Now, 
Some of you have gone through shingles recently. The last time I talked to Dolly, when she was in one of those states, she said, I just wish I could die. But death bleed didn't come. She didn't die. She's here. She's uh, back to her old self. So the implication is that what's going to come upon the empire is going to be very painful. Okay? But this is all in symbolic language. And this is where we make our mistake. It is for two things. We put all this in the future. As if these things aren't going to happen for at least 2,000 years after they were written, which gives them no relevance whatsoever to the seven churches. And the second mistake is to take these things literally. These are all symbolic, all symbolic language. And so you're having to hunt for what the meaning of these symbols is. So they don't act like locusts. So that's why I know they're not locusts. Now look at this. They don't look like locusts. Look at verse 7. The shape of the locust was like the horses, like horses prepared for battle. They look like horses, decked out, floral, like an army, ready to charge into battle. Look what else it says in verse 7. On their heads were crowns of something, like gold. Uh, locusts don't have crowns of gold on their head. I've never seen a locust going around with any crown on these heads. Uh, but probably this crown represents the fact that this army is uh, possibly going to be victorious. Uh, look at the end of verse 7. And their faces were like the faces of men. They have intelligence. Never seen a locust that has any intelligence. Two plus two is what, Mr. Locust? Never give you an answer. They have faces like men, which signifies that they have some sort of intelligence, some sort of personality. If I look at your face, I can tell whether you're happy, whether you're sad, whether you're bored, whether you're sleeping, whatever. Uh, these locusts have personality. Now, very interestingly, notice it says they're like. See that? They're like scorpions. They're like this. Uh, something like gold. They were like horses. They had something on their head like crowns of gold. Their faces were like. See? These are all similes. Uh, not literal locusts, not literal, literal horses, not literal men, not a literal army. But these are pictures that John's readers would recognize. Okay. But look at verse 8. And they had hair like women's hair. I never saw a locust that never got a haircut, did you? <laughs> but I'm sure that John's audience recognized these people. Because the Parthians, who lived in the east, beyond the borders of the Roman Empire, they were known as barbarians, were always crossing the border and starting fights. They, they actually had two wars already up at this, to this point with the Roman Empire. They would get their troops and they would come across the border and they would you know, do sneak attacks. And they were located east of Palestine, northeast of Palestine. The reason that 
Israel had so many Roman soldiers in it. This little dinky spot of soil called Israel. Why, why were there all these Roman soldiers in it all the time? Were they afraid of these Jews, the great Roman Empire? They had those soldiers there because Israel was on the eastern edge of the empire and beyond those borders were the Parthians. And their armies looked just like what's being described here. And their soldiers were wild-looking, long-haired barbarians. And so when John writes this, guess what his audience thinks? Oh, the Parthians are going to come. They're going to they're going to get uh, they're going to get Rome. But guess what? They're not the Parthians. Now that's what would be conjured up in John's audience's mind. But they're not literally the Parthians. The Parthians come from the east. Where do these come from? No, these come from the abyss. Oh. So it's not a human army. What kind of army must it be if it comes from the abyss? Yeah, a demonic army, a satanic army. Now look how else they're described in verse 8. And they had teeth like lion's teeth. What in the world does that mean? That means they were fierce. They devoured their prey. Uh, lions don't usually lose fights when they go after prey. They usually are very successful. And then look at verse 9. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. The Parthians had these iron shields that couldn't be penetrated. You could shoot arrows and throw things at them and hit them with axes. And these, these iron, very heavy iron breastplates could not be penetrated. Couldn't be defeated, in other words. Look what else it says in verse 9. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They were very swift, mobile, could outrun the enemy could attack the enemy, and the enemy couldn't outrun them. And so we see this description. It continues to go on. And look at verse 10. And they had tails like scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men. Five months. Torture them, not kill them. This is repeated now for the second time. Now, seven times in three verses, the word like is used. They're like, they're like, they're like, they're like, they're like. All similes. Symbolic language, not literal language. Okay? Three times in verses 3, 5, and 10, scorpions are mentioned. They're like scorpions. And I think this is the key to understanding this fifth trumpet blast, the vision of the fifth trumpet. They're like scorpions. You remember Jesus talking about scorpions anywhere? What did Jesus say? Turn over to Luke 10. And look down at verse 17. Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. Now Jesus, in this chapter, has sent out the 70 on a mission trip. And they come back and they're pretty excited. Okay? Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. And look what it says. Then the seventy returned with great joy, saying, Lord, watch this, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample over serpents and what? Scorpions. See, Jesus calls the demons scorpions. He says they're like scorpions. Now, he also uses the word serpents there, doesn't he? I want you to remember that word serpent. Okay, we did this last week. Remember this? This is a very hard lesson. Remember the word serpent. But he also calls them scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. So we see that Jesus likens demons to scorpions, and in John's vision, he's likening, likening the locust scorpions. And this is, a, I believe, a demonic horde out of hell, out of the abyss that's been let up. They've been bound there, and they're going to be let up for a small amount of time in order to inflict pain upon the persecutors within that Roman Empire. So we see some historical precedents for this. So I think it's a veiled reference to demons. So, I don't think it's real locusts. They don't act like locusts, and they don't look like locusts. Okay? And they're not organized like locusts. Go back to uh, Revelation chapter 9 and notice what it says in verse 11. And they had a king over them. Locusts do not have any leader. Most insects have a leader that they follow. Most living things have a leader that they follow. Living things being things that have breath. Uh, if you've had a problem with fire ants, you know what you need to do. You need to get the queen, don't you? Because the queen is the leader. Bees follow a leader. Bees follow a queen. So, insects, for the most part, have a leader. But guess, one insect doesn't have a leader. And guess which one that is? Locust. They don't have a leader. But these do have a leader, so they can't be literal locusts. See? So look what he says. They had a king over them, and look who that king is. Who is that leader? In the middle of verse 11. The angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in the Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Abaddon meaning destruction, Apollyon meaning the destroyer. So, that would be probably Satan, or one of Satan, Satan's lead lieutenants or henchmen comes right out of that bottomless pit with them. So when they emerge out of the bottomless pit, they're following a king or a leader. Caesar was considered the king of the Roman Empire. And what John might be saying is, these are demons that uh, empower humans. We don't know exactly what he's trying to get at, but what he's telling us is that this is some sort of temporary demonic invasion. And it's not going to be pleasant. People wish they were to die, uh, but they're not going to die. They're just going to be inflicted for a short period of time. Look what he says in verse 12. One woe is bad. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. So now we come to trumpet blast number six. Trumpet blast number six. Look at verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard the voice from the four horns of the golden altar, 
which is before God. Now last week we saw this altar of incense. And the prayers of God's people, the martyrs, had gone up saying, when are you going to avenge us? And God responds to those prayers. And so here we see this altar. And he heard a voice from the altar saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, the river Euphrates was the river that divided the Roman Empire from the barbarians in the east, the Parthians. And so in John's audience's mind, again, they're thinking about the barbarians and possibly an invasion on the Roman Empire. But what he says is release the angels who were are bound at the river Euphrates, and the only angels that are ever bound are what kind of angels? Demon angels. Evil angels. So these angels are released. So the four angels in verse 15, who had prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. These are death angels. Now, the first demonic horde inflicted pain only for a short period of time. Now we go to the next step, and these angels inflict death. That's what it says. Killing a third of mankind. Literally a third? You mean a third of all the human race? American Indians? They didn't know existed at this time? Is that what it's talking about? No. When it says a third of all mankind, it's talking about what we would call the uh, inhabited world at that time, the civilized world, which would have been the Roman Empire. And a third doesn't mean literally a third. What would it mean? Well, a lot. But not the majority. A lot less than the majority. But there are going to be people who die in this judgment that's going to come. So, the vision represents something. It's some sort of widespread plague or something that kills these people. Now, notice the number in verse 16. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Didn't see it. Just heard the number. Now, 200 million. Literally? We had 200,000 army troops in Iraq. Can you imagine what 200 million would be? There wasn't a population in this whole region at that time wasn't 200 million. Not 200 million. In fact, that's not what the text really says. The text simply says myriads upon myriads upon myriads. So many that you can already count. That's all it says. This is a great truth. Whatever it is, human army, demonic army, and they are sent out to kill. And from John's audience's perspective, it sounds like a great army coming from the east. Now, everybody said, oh, now this is China. China can, you know, field a 200 million man army for all that nonsense. Don't go there. Just don't go there. Don't put this all up in front of us and make speculation. I think that's a mistake. Are things going to happen 
In our future, yes. Is there going to be a great tribulation? Yes. But that's not what these are talking about. These are talking about judgments that are to come soon. Remember how we dealt with soon for about three or four weeks? They are going to happen in these seven churches' immediate future. So, this army, that's their number. Look how they're described in verse 17. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. See, this is all visionary. And those who sat on the horses had breastplates of fiery red and hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. That's a strange looking horse. And out of their mouths, whoa, look at this, out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. All symbolic. Now in two of those words you recognize with past judgments. Don't you? Fire and brimstone. Do you remember any country, that city that was destroyed by fire and brimstone? Fire and brimstone ever come down on any city? Uh, you know, it was an angel that caused the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Read the story of Abraham and all of them. They get out of the city because we're going to destroy it. And the angel sit down fire and brimstone. So this is not a human army. Human armies, I can't spit out of my mouth fire. <laughs> Want to see my dragon imitation? What? <laughs> How about some sulfur? You want some sulfur and brimstone? I can't give you that. If I'm riding a horse, it's not spinning it out either. I've never seen a horse that can produce fire and brimstone. So when you're dealing with the symbolic language, you're always trying to find out, well, what's it talking about? It's talking about, hey, remember that other judgment way back in Sodom and Gomorrah? This is going to be a judgment. This is a judgment from God. That's what it's saying. And it's not going to be a pleasant because people are going to, pleasant one because people are going to be dying the whole time. So, uh, if this were a real a real army that was invading the Roman Empire, if this were the Parthians that were invading the Roman Empire, uh, it wouldn't only be the Roman soldiers who die. Guess who else would die? Christians would die. But remember, the Christians are protected, aren't they? An army just comes in and indiscriminately kills people. Even if they don't try to, it happens, doesn't it? You know, when we sent our troops to Iraq, our intention was never to kill an innocent citizen, but guess what? It happens. You can't determine who you're going to kill in a war. So a human army kills indiscriminately, and if this were a human army, guess what? The Christians who were living then would have died right along with the rest. But if it's a demonic army who has a specific assignment, they can pinpoint who they want to knock off. They don't knock off the ones that have God's mark. So you have any precedent for that? How about Egypt? Mark the door of your house with the blood of the lamb and the death angel comes over and guess what? God's people are protected. The rest are put to death. So I'm convinced that this is a demonic army and for me the clincher is the next verse. Verse 19, where their power is in their mouth and in their tails, where the tails are like what? Remember what word did I tell you remember? Serpents. Jesus likens demons to serpents. Their power is in their heads like serpents. 
tails like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. It's like being struck by a venomous ass. So, these locusts look like scorpions in the vision, not literally scorpions. Uh, but whatever these things are, they're going to inflict pain in trumpet number five. And these beings in the vision look like serpents. Not literally serpents, but they can kill in last number six. So I think this is an unleashing of the demon forces. Now look at the reaction to this. But the rest of the man, mankind who were not killed in these plagues, now notice here's the first time the word plague is mentioned, which seems to indicate that it could have been some sort of sickness that's going to come upon uh, the Roman soldiers. Uh, inflicted by Satan. A sickness is inflicted by Satan. A plague, like the plagues of Egypt. God sent plagues upon Egypt. Those who were not killed by the plagues, look at verse 20, did not repent. Did not repent. These judgments are to get Rome's attention. And guess what? They did not repent. They did not repent of what? What this says in verse 20. They did not repent of the work of their hands. They didn't repent of the works of their hands. That's a way that the Bible describes making of idols. Man-made idols. Guess what they didn't repent of? Idolatry. That's why Rome's being judged. That's what this book is all about, Revelation. If you really want to get down to what the entire book's about, it's about Rome trying to get the Christians to bow the knee and offer sacrifices to idols at these temple meals and these union meals that they're going to. And if you've been with us these few weeks, you know what I'm talking about. And God tells, Jesus tells his people, do not bow the knee, it might cost you your life, but don't bow that knee. I've heard your prayers, I'm going to send judgments upon Rome. And he does, and a third or a great part of these people uh, suffer death, but they don't repent of the works of their hands, the making of idols. Notice what it says in verse 20. They should not worship demons, the power behind the idols, the idols of gold and idols of silver, the idols of brass, idols of stone, idols of wood, which can neither see nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their martyrdom of Christians, their killing of Christians, or of their sorceries, which were the magical arts that was connected with the Roman temples, the witchcraft, the use of potions to conjure up the spirits, or of their sexual immoralities, which was also connected with idolatry and temple prostitutes. Or of their thefts, which is what they were doing to the peasants, the poor, in the Roman Empire. They were oppressing them with heavy taxes, tributes, taking their land. And that's what they're being judged for. 
They're being judged for their idolatry and their oppression of the poor masses. But they do not repent. But I want you to know something. One woe is passed. Torment. Two woes are passed. But you ain't seen nothing yet. Third woe still the fall. Now, at the time of this writing, these things haven't even happened yet. In fact, with the trumpets, they don't happen. What are the trumpets doing? Just announcing them. They haven't actually fallen yet. But there's going to be another trumpet that sounds. The seventh trumpet. But it will not sound until the middle of chapter 11. All of chapter 10 and the middle of chapter 11 to the middle of chapter 11 are an interval. So now we're going to have a little flashback. John's going to say, let's take a break for a second. I want to talk about a couple things in this interval. And then at the end of chapter 11, we hear the blast of the seventh trumpet. So that's where we'll pick up next week, chapter 10 and verse 1. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can uh, look at it and we can see what happens to people uh, who stand against you and your church. They are judged in this lifetime, not only in the ultimate judgment, but in the interim, you have ways of getting their affliction, uh, getting their attention and afflicting them, and ways of letting the Christians know that their prayers are being answered. You are concerned. Oh Lord, help us not to be like the Romans. Don't let's not side with the world system and do things the way they do with manipulation and force and trickery and lying and compromise, but help us to be like these faithful people who are called to be overcomers and not bow the knee. Help us to, as these demons have allegiance to a king, Satan, help us to have allegiance to one king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help us to unfold this book, make sense of it, not only for that day, but for our time as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.